think we're going to dismiss the children to go to junior church. There you go. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1. Our scripture for this morning would be Acts 1, 6 to 11. We'll have it up on the screen in a few moments. In Acts 1-6, we read, I think I have the newer NIV, so if it's a little different, it's the same thing. Don't worry about it. Um, Acts 1, 6-11, we read, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set his own, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This morning, we're going to explore and learn our next Brethren in Christ core value, witnessing to the world. Again, this is part of our continuing effort to learn what it means to be Brethren in Christ, to continue to examine these core values, the beliefs that make us who we are, the truths that we desire to always be self-evident among us, and the essence of who God has called us to be before him and before our world. Like I've stated before, knowing our history is only the first part of learning what it means, brethren, in Christ. The second part is knowing our values, knowing the things we hold dear, the truths we live to set forth, the central beliefs that make us who we are. My goal this morning is for us to examine one of these beliefs that are so etched into our DNA that they encompass who we are as the brethren in Christ. You know, our core values were born of the Holy Spirit and with reliance on God. They were born after studying his scriptures together. They were born after prayerfully together seeking insights from God in how he has revealed himself to us in our history, in our tradition, and how he wants to reveal himself to us today. This morning, we'll examine our sixth core value. Please read with me. Witnessing to the world, we value an active and loving witness for Christ to all people. You know, in preparation for this message, I'm believing and answering the call to be witnesses to our God and in our everyday scenes, witnesses to our God in our day-to-day lives, witnesses to our God in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our spheres of influence, yes, in our entire world. I cannot help but run to the life and work and the ministry of John the Baptist. See, I figured if John was good enough to be chosen from the beginning of time and the dawn of human history as we know it, If John was blessed enough to be chosen by God and for Jesus Christ, if John was ordained to be Christ's witness, the witness to testify and prepare ye the way of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus and Redeemer King Jesus Christ, if John was good enough for God the Father and good enough for Jesus the Son, I figured he'd be good enough for us this morning. Amen? Amen. But you have to admit, a quick glance at John the Baptist, and you cannot help but think, this dude was out there. He was the out there member of the family. You know what I'm talking about, right? I think y'all know what I'm talking about. I'll help you. See, every single one of us, every single family that's represented here has that one relative. It might be your grandparents. It might be an aunt or uncle, a sibling, 
a cousin, a mom, a dad, every one of us, every single family has that one relative. But here's the fun part. You know, if you can't think of who in your family or who in your life is that one relative, y'all know what I'm going to say, right? If you cannot think of who might be that one relative in your family, there's no maybe about it. If you cannot think who might be that one relative in your family, there's no might about it. If you cannot think about who's that one out there member of your family, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's you. Please, no emails, no phone calls. Don't get mad at me. Just go handle your business with your family. They're the ones who see you that way. I don't. I love you. But here's the good news. No matter how wild, no matter how out there, no matter how just creative that one relative might be, John the Baptist would make them look perfect and A-OK. I mean, he was that guy who wore clothes made from camel's hair. Yes, he accessorized right with the leather belt, but camel hair clothing? Really? Now, before you go ahead and think, you know, I'm a biblical scholar, well, maybe that's just how people dressed back then. Lend me your ears. Let me let you in on a little secret. Nobody, nobody dressed like that back then. Nobody except John and his little desert crew. Not too many people were marching to the drum they were marching to, so don't go around saying everybody dressed like that. Here's the other thing about John, though. John dressed like Elijah. Now, lots of people much smarter than me and, and with much bigger degrees than I'll ever have, they point out the significance. They're like, oh, John dressed like Elijah. This is what it means. You know, they recall how the prophet Malachi had predicted that before Messiah would come, and Elijah would first come as his messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. A messenger and a prophet who would turn the hearts of fathers back to children and the hearts of children back to their fathers. A prophet who would proclaim the good news that today is the day of salvation, that every knee shall bow and every tongue must confess, that all should be baptized, and that everyone through faith can now enter into God's family. They say John dressed like Elijah, and that's the reason. But I think, I think John took this Elijah thing a little too far. By dressing like Elijah, John chose the fashion that was all the rage at least 900 years in the past. Now, vintage has always been a buzzword in fashion. You know, you might even have some vintage clothing. You might have your favorite vintage clothing store. You might think you're cool because you wear vintage clothes, and you probably are. But no one, nobody is running around Harrisburg right now rocking 11th and 12th century fashion these days. Nobody. That's what John was doing. But you know, that's just one of the things that made John special, right? The other big thing was what? His food. He lived eating locusts and wild honey. Now again, people much smarter than me open my eyes to this. They say that, well, this was the, the diet of people, you know, first of all, it wasn't just the diet of normal people back then, right? In fact, it was the diet of the very, very poor but it was also the diet of the holy and the pious. You see, in order to avoid food that was uncleaned or unblessed by the priests, they ate straight from the earth because you know what's from the earth is of the greatest worth. Now, I think some of our farmers, fake farmers like me, I just watched y'all grow tomatoes, some of our vegans, vegetarians, and just all our fighters against processed foods, I think they can all appreciate John the Baptist for that. You eat from the earth. But here's the thing I want you to remember and appreciate about John the Baptist this morning. See, it's easy to think of him as some cartoon character and miss his message. It's easy to think of him as some out there dude and miss his ministry. It's even easier to brush him aside and say, yeah, we know all about him. 
It's easy to do that and miss his witness. See, again, if John was good enough to be chosen from the beginning of time and the dawn of human history as we know it, if John was blessed enough to be chosen by God the Father and for Jesus the Christ, if John was ordained to be Christ's witness, the witness to testify and prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for our Savior, prepare the way for our Redeemer and King Jesus the Christ. If John was good enough for God the Father and Jesus the Son, we've got to understand this morning that he's good enough for us. Amen? Amen. John was more than just Christ's setup man. He was part of God's perfect plan. That's what I love about John. He was the perfect man for the job. He was the one foretold and predicted by the prophets, even the angel Gabriel. He was the voice in the desert. He was the champion for God's saving grace. He was the ultimate witness for God's people back then, but also God's people today. You know, I believe that John the Baptist is the ultimate witness because he calls us back to this simple truth. As Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers, as partners with God in ushering in his kingdom, we are not called to go and witness. No, we're called to be witnesses. You know, I want you to really hear that this morning because you can see it in the life of John the Baptist. We are not called to go and witness. No, we are called to be witnesses. I'll help you out. We'll go to grammar school. Mrs. Bivens will be proud of me. See, when we think of witness, we might think of the dictionary definition, right? Someone who sees an event and reports it. A close observer. uh, uh, Someone who, by testimony, by word or deed, to a religious faith. Or perhaps we think of witness as the law does. In law, a witness attests to something or someone being truthful or genuine. So much so that you affix your signature or you testify under oath. However, in the scriptures, when we see witness mentioned, it is a noun and not a verb. And we'll go to grammar school on that. You remember what noun is? They added this new age thing idea. But when I was a kid, a noun was what? A person, place, or thing. Witness is not used in the Bible as a verb. Witness never denotes action. The people of the Bible, the children of the king, are always called to be witnesses, not to go and witness. You know, as Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, we have made witness a verb. By doing this, we have made witness something we do. Being witnesses is no longer who we are. It's something we do. Witnessing has become something perhaps out of character. It's not normal for me to go out and tell people about Jesus. But Christ didn't call us to that, did he? Christ called us to be his witnesses so that in our normal, everyday scenes, who we are and how we live, who we are and how we love, it testifies. It invites It proclaims and it welcomes all of our father's lost children back home again. Amen? Amen. Our witness is in our words and in our deeds. It's in our families and in our friendships. It's in our workplaces and it's even in our Sabbath and in our rest. Our witness is that our God is good. Our God is faithful. Our God is true. Our God is love. Amen? Our witness is that salvation is good and available to all. Because our God is a redeemer. He has saved and redeemed me and he can save and redeem you. That's our witness. Our witness is that God is faithful. He has changed and is changing me. He has begun and he can't stop. He won't stop until he completes the work he has begun in me. Our witness is that now. Our witness is that today. Our witness is that at this very moment, I am a new creation in Christ. I am a child of God. I am a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And I am a worker that lives. I am a worker that loves. And I am the worker that moves to make God's kingdom come in my everyday scenes. Our witness is that God can be faithful to you as well. 
are witnesses that God can change and will change you because he cannot and he will not stop until he finishes the work he's begun in you. Our witness is that now. Our witness is that today. Our witness is that at this very moment, you can be a new creation in Christ. You can be a child of God. You can be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. You can be a worker that lives, a worker that loves to make our God's kingdom come. Our God's will be done in our everyday scenes. Our witness is that God is true. In a world where things are not as they should be, our God is true. In a world where, you know, the things that pass seem to matter more and more and be more important than the things we know that last, our God is true. In a world where we have trouble, in a world where we have persecution, in a world where we have afflictions and addictions, in a world where we fall short day after day after day after day, our God is true. Amen? Our witness is that our God is true. He's true for me, and he can be true for you. Our witness is that God is love. You know, in a world that loves me, not because of who I am, but because of what I can do, our God is love. In a world that says my value is only in what I look like, what I earn, what I spend, what I own, what I know, or what my Father has done, our God is love. In a world that tries to define and quantify my value with every breath that I take and every move that I make, every word that springs forth from my tongue, our God is love. Our witness is that our God is love. He loves me, and he will always love me. Our witness is that God loves you. He has loved you. He is loving you right now, and he will always love you. Amen? Amen. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, you know, he's making too big a deal of this. You know, I passed ninth grade English. I don't need no more grammar. No more grammar. You like that? Now, I know some of you might be thinking that. You know, what's the big difference between being witnesses and going to witness? Some don't get it. I mean, what's the, big, what's the big deal after all? This is all just semantics, isn't it? Is it? See, I don't think so. I don't believe so because, you see, how we understand things is often the foundation of our beliefs. And our beliefs then, our true core values, our true core beliefs, they're the foundation of how we live our lives and the foundation of our words and the foundation of our actions. So if we believe that witnessing is something we do, then that's how we think. It's how we interact. It's how we live. It's how we love. This, in turn, removes us from what I believe the call of Jesus Christ is. Because if witnessing is just something we do, then it only becomes what? Part of our faith. A part-time job or a part-time duty. Maybe even the work of the really gifted few. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at Christianity today in our neighborhoods... If we look at Christianity today in our city, in our country, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, if we look a little deeper, we can clearly see. We can see that because we've made witness just a part-time duty, because we've made witness just part of our faith, because we've made it only the work of the gifted few, we can see that we're having less of an impact on our same neighborhoods, in our same cities, in our same country, in our same families, in our same churches, and in our same communities. And we can see that Jesus Christ, his kingdom is not expanding here in our everyday scenes. If we're honest, we can see that. You know, we're becoming more and more disconnected with the world around us. And there is a disconnect between those in the kingdom and the many lost children our Father desires to bring home again. Remember, our God desires that none should perish, no, not one. 
What our God desires is that all should come to repentance, that all should know him, that all should know and experience his love and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, to make us pure, to make us holy, to make us good, to make us reconciled before our God and King. That's what he desires. You know, Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons had a book a couple years ago. They sum up this disconnect between the world and those in the kingdom. The book's called Unchristian. In the book, they interviewed many young people, ages 16 to 29. And this is what they found out. I wish they had just talked to me. I would have saved them a lot of work. But this is what they found out. They find out that as Christians, we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. The authors find that our world sees us as hypocritical, insensitive, and judgmental. Hypocritical, insensitive, and judgmental. Now ask yourself this. Which one of those three makes Jesus' kingdom come and his will be done? Hypocritical, insensitive, judgmental. Which of those three proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord? Hypocritical, insensitive, judgmental. Which of those three invites lost children of our God and Father back home again? We are hypocrites because of our words, because our deeds, because our lives, because our witness does not conform to Jesus our Christ. We do not live as Jesus lived. We do not love as Jesus loved. Our witness of the Christ we say we love, the Christ we say we adore, the Christ we worship, if we're honest, it only embarrasses him. Being a part-time witness has been rendered increasingly ineffective because the world we try to tell about Christ, they look at us and they don't see Jesus. They don't see anything distinctively better in our lives than they could want in their lives. They turn a deaf ear to us. You know why? They turn a deaf ear to us because often we turn a deaf ear to them. We turn a deaf ear and we ignore them. Unless what? Unless we're trying to save them. You know, this is why when Gandhi reportedly said, you know, we don't know if Gandhi really said this, but we just give it to him. This is why when Gandhi reportedly said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are not like your Christ. This is why the world... Yes, the entire world heard that, and they did what? They nodded in agreement. We must stop living in hypocrisy. We must stop living in hypocrisy. We must stop living in hypocrisy. We must start living to be a witness to Christ. Not some of the time, not part of the time, but all the time. We must start being witnesses in every word. We must start being witnesses in every action. We must start being witnesses in every interaction. We must start being witnesses every day, every single moment, every single second. In all of our lives, we have to live as witnesses. We must be witnesses and stop this going to witness. Because our going to witness is killing the church. We must live as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, as Christians, our world sees us as insensitive. You see, instead of building relationships that last in hopes of, you know, witnessing to an unbelieving world, we tarry and we do all we can to run away from the world. Instead of earning the right to be heard, we're quick to do what? Proclaim all that the world needs and do not have. Instead of meeting people where they are, and then prayerfully taking them to where God desires them to be, we push them farther and farther away and leave them dead. We leave them dying in their sins, and we call ourselves Jesus' followers. You know, this is why when Bono said, I think Bono did say this one. This is why when Bono said, Christians are hard to tolerate, I'm not sure how Jesus does it. Christians are hard to tolerate, I'm not sure how Jesus does it. Our world screams, me too, me too, Bono. I know exactly what you mean. 
We must stop seeing people as the world sees them. Amen? We must stop defining people by their past. Amen? We must stop defining people even by the shells we see in front of us right now. And hear me on this. Hear me on this. We must stop hiding our lights and complaining about the darkness all around us. You hear that? We must stop hiding our lights and running to our cocoons and then complaining about the darkness. You know why? Because you are the light. We are the light. You are the light. We are the light. We must be the light because we're the light that God uses to bring the lost back home. We do well as Christians to complain about the darkness, but we are the light. As Christians, our world sees us as judgmental. See, this is often because we would rather what? We would rather pronounce people to hell for their sins than invite them to heaven. We would rather discard people because of their sins, all the while ignoring that our God, our Father, never discarded any one of us. We would rather see people for who they are and who they were, all the while ignoring the power of our God, ignoring the power of forgiveness of sins, ignoring the power of the Holy Spirit within, ignoring the power and joy of Christian community that can make the greatest sinners what? A saint. That can make the greatest sinner what? A child of God, a worker to make God's kingdom come and God's will be done. We must stop seeing people how the world sees them and start trying to see them as God sees them. And that's a lost child who needs to come home again. Amen? Amen. In Acts chapter 1, before the Lord Jesus returns to the house of God our Father, before he leaves to go and work, to prepare heaven until it's perfect for eternity, until it's perfect for you and until it's perfect for me. Before he leaves, he leaves his disciples then and us today with this simple message. Go and be my witnesses. Go and submit to the Holy Spirit. Go and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go and work with the Holy Spirit. Go and let your words let your deeds, let your actions, let your interactions, let all of your life go and let your entire existence testify of me. Let your words proclaim that salvation has come and it's available to all who would believe. Let your deeds, let your actions, let your interactions testify of the love I have given you, the love I have given you to go and give to the world. Go and let your lives, not some of your life, not part of your life, not your Sunday morning life, not your Wednesday morning life or Wednesday evening life. Go and let all of your life, let all of your life be a light to the darkness all around us. Let all of your light be hope to the hopeless all around us. Let all of your light be peace to the restless. Amen? Go and live in love like Christ lived and loved. Go and be my witnesses. Go and so that your grace, your mercy... Your hope and your love can be used by our Father to invite the lost children back home again. Jesus' message to us here in Acts 1 calls us back to the garden in Genesis 1. Remember in the beginning, God created mankind in his image and likeness so that we could be his witnesses to all of creation. In mankind, all of creation would look and they would see what the love of God looks like. That terrifies me. When people look at me, they're supposed to see what Jesus looks like. But that's what he created in the beginning. They're supposed to see 
what God values. They're supposed to understand the joy and blessing of true community. Likewise, when Jesus ups the game in Acts 1, when Jesus calls us to be his witnesses, Jesus returns us to the beginning by calling his disciples then and now to show the world, to show the people of our everyday scenes what the love of God looks like, what the love of God feels like, and what the love of God is like. Amen? Jesus returns us to the beginning by calling his disciples then and now to show the world what our God values. Yes, he values his word. Yes, he values his people. That's his saints. But yes, 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 he also values every single person that has yet to come to a saving knowledge of him. Remember, our God desires that none should perish. Our God desires that all would know him. Our God desires that everyone shall come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, what's interesting is that Jesus calls us to the garden in Acts 1, and this is what the message I hear. He reminds us that not his family, because remember, God works with us, and we enter that family. Not his family. He reminds us that our family, our family is not yet complete. His disciples often miss the message. You know, He reminds us that the work is not yet done. Heaven cannot yet come. And I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. But we can't get there because why? The work is not yet done. You know, a lot of times we say that and we say, well, it's because, you know, Jesus will come back. Jesus is doing his job. He's getting heaven ready for me and you. He's getting heaven perfect. That's what Jesus is doing. Only thing God's got left is his Holy Spirit and his church. We're the light of the world. Amen? You know, what's interesting about that, though, is that, you know, he says, not my family, but our family needs to be complete. We, together, must do the work of loving our world like God our Father so loved this world. We must live in a way that makes our Father's kingdom come and our Father's will be done right now. But here's what's interesting to me. Even after Jesus lived with, died for, and resurrected before them, his disciples missed the message. Even after Jesus presented himself to the disciples, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, promised the Holy Spirit to come, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, his disciples missed his message. You remember their first question in Acts 1? The first question after all of this, after Jesus had lived, after Jesus had died, after Jesus was resurrected, after Jesus spent over a month telling them about the kingdom. You remember their first question? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Really? After he lived, after he died, after he resurrected, after 40 days of telling you about heaven, they're worried about Israel. Now I get it. Most of the time when the Old Testament mentions an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the disciples back then, they understood that this would be done in order for what? Israel to be restored. So maybe, just maybe, maybe, It's easy to ignore what Jesus had been preaching, what Jesus had been living, why Jesus died, why Jesus was resurrected, what Jesus taught for 40 days. Maybe. No, I don't think so. See, I only think it's easy to miss Jesus' message when we take our eyes off of Jesus. When we take our eyes off of Jesus. I don't think it's easy to miss Jesus' message when we stop living for our Father's kingdom and we start living for the kingdoms of this world. 
You know, we disciples today fall for the same trap. And this is what I love about the Bible. You find something, you're like, oh, those silly disciples. We fall for the same trap. What I mean is this. I don't know about you, but I have grown achingly tiresome. My soul grieves when Christians bemoan the downfall of our great nation. I become sorrowful when I'm taking the task for not understanding the importance of returning the United States of America back to her Christian roots and foundation. It hurts my soul. It hurts my soul. Now, if I were a complete cynic, and I'm not a complete cynic, I would ask, well, when exactly was this United States you speak of our father's kingdom here on earth? When were we our father's kingdom come and his will be done? Because, yes, I love America. Yes, I will always be a proud American. And, yes, I get teary-eyed way too easily because of cheesy Olympic videos. Yes, I love my country. But America is not my home. Amen? America is not and has never been and will never be our Father's kingdom. America is not the kingdom that I deeply desire to see come. I love the United States, but I live, I love I work for the country where Christ is the king. Amen? I enjoy the blessings of being an American, but it can never even come close to the blessings that the Lord of heaven brings for me and he brings for you. I love being an American, but I love even more, and I will always love more, being a child of God. Amen? Now let's talk of restoring America hurts my soul because if many of these same Christians gave just as much gusto, just as much dedication, just as much belief, just as much money, just as many votes, just as much time, just as much work, and just as much witness to ushering in our Father's kingdom, we would all be a little closer to living in the only country, the only kingdom that will last forever, the kingdom of Christ the King. Amen? In Acts 1, Jesus corrects his disciples back then who wanted to see Israel restored. His words can also be a corrective to all of us this morning because when we take our eyes off of him, when we put our hope or think that it's America that owns when we think that America that determines, or we think that it's America that even deserves our fate, the Lord provides the corrective. Hope not in America. Work not to restore America. Work for my kingdom. Work for my people. Work to bring my children back home. I love America, but we should always work, live, and love for Christ's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Because you see, God's kingdom is the kingdom of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. God's country is the land without borders. God's citizens are all of his children who believe in his name, all of his children who know the pardon of their sins, all of his children who live in love to make his kingdom come. And this is the core of Jesus' message to his disciples then and to us today. Our God has worked in the past. Our God is working right now. And our God will keep working to bring salvation to all the nations of the earth. And the means of his salvation. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit convicts and draws people to Christ. Yes, it's Jesus who died for our sins. Scripture teaches that Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected on the third day. Yes, it's the Spirit. Yes, it's Jesus. Yes, it's the Father who Scripture teaches makes all of this possible. But hear me on this. It is also the Spirit. 
It is also the son. It is also the father who humbly calls, who humbly invites, who humbly welcomes every single believer. That's you, and that's you, that's you, and that's me. It is also the father who humbly calls, who humbly invites, who humbly welcomes every single believer to be his witnesses, to be his partners, to be his kingdom come, to save lost souls. You are the light. We are the light. You are the light. We are the light. You are the light. Amen? Amen. Now, our God is saving. You know, our God is a saving God because he sent Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. Like I said already, Jesus has done his part. Some of you might know the hymn. Done is the work that saves, once and forever done. Finished the righteousness that clothes the unrighteous one. The love that blesses us below is flowing freely to us now. The Lord Jesus has done his part. Done is the work that saves. Our God is the saving God because the Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit has come and he lives in everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The Spirit calls. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit draws near, and it draws us near to God. The Spirit empowers. The Spirit brings us into the presence of God. The Spirit is always working and doing his part. Are you? We must know that our God saves, and he sends. First, he so loved the world that he did what? He sent Jesus. Then he so loved the world that he what? He sent the Holy Spirit. And now I'm telling you this morning, before returning to heaven, the Lord Jesus calls all of his disciples, all of his followers, and he says, you have me, you have the Holy Spirit, and now I have you, and I am sending you. He so loved us, he sent Jesus. He so loved us, he sent the Spirit. Now he so loves the world that he's sending us. Every believer is called to be a witness as God sustains his redemption plan for the world. And so the sending continues. Every believer, not the ones who are really good at it, not the ones who do it part-time, every believer is called to have our words, our actions, our interactions, our lives proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is called to testify of the richness and blessings we have in Christ. Amen? In us, our world should see that we live not for earthly kingdoms, but for the kingdom that lasts for eternity. In us, our world should see that (laughs) our world should not have to wonder about who God is. Our world should look at us, and they shouldn't have to wonder about where God is. Our world should not have to look at us and wonder whether or not God loves them. No! In us, in you. In me, in us, our world should see the wonder of God working in us, the wonder of God working for them, the beauty, the peace of knowing that God loves them through us, in us and through us, in us and through our witness, through our lives, through our values, through our love, through our mercy, through our forgiveness, through our grace, our world should know the miracle of God's salvation and the power of a transformed life. He sent the Spirit. He sent Jesus. Now he's sending you. However, (laughs) now my hope this morning was to share with us a bigger picture about the power of witness. It was to inspire all of us to stop going and witness and start living as witnesses. It was to call us out of our complacency that renders us to do part-time ministry or or, or part-time witnessing. It was to wake us up. That was my hope, and I think we've done that. 
But I would be remiss if I didn't share with you just three easy, practical ways we can start being witnesses of Jesus Christ. Start being the witnesses he's called us to be. I'm dripping, I'm sorry. Passionate. Jesus called his disciples to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That is, we must be witnesses locally, we must be witnesses nationally, we must be witnesses globally. We are called to not only impact our communities and our families, but our neighborhoods, but our cities, but our countries, and then our world. You know, this seems very, very big picture by Jesus, right? It's very, very idealistic, and it is, but don't forget. Don't forget that Jesus' point here, thanks, Don't forget that even though this is all big picture, Jesus' point here is what? Start being a witness right where you stand. He doesn't send them first to the ends of the earth. He doesn't send them first to Judea and Samaria. He starts them in Jerusalem. He says, if you're going to be my witness, start where you are. Yes, Christ designed and empowered his witness to impact countries and our entire world, but all witnesses must start where? Here. We must start in every conversation and in every interaction. We must start in every sphere of influence. We must start in everyday scenes. I'm just, people are taking care of me. That's community, right? That's the joy of fellowship. Amen? It's big picture, but we have to start here. We have to. We have to start in every conversation. We have to start in every interaction. We have to start in our everyday scenes. And you know what the first step of being a witness right here, right now is? You know what that first step is? First step is to pray. See, if we're honest, we all know people who are outside our Father's kingdom. We know people who are outside of the light that is Jesus Christ. We know people whose future is in eternity apart from Jesus. We all know many people, in fact. It's not just one. We all know many. There are parents. There are siblings. There are friends. There are coworkers. There are acquaintances. There might be people you might only see once in your life. We all know people. The lost are all around us. Let us commit to praying for their salvation. You know, oftentimes preachers get up and they say, don't just pray for yourself. This is something I'm begging you to pray for. Pray for the salvation of everyone you meet. Pray for the salvation of everyone you know. Pray for the salvation for everyone you interact with. Because our God is a working, saving God. Amen? See, it's not just that prayer changes things. No. It is more like prayer changes us. Maybe you want to go the other way. Maybe you want to choose one person and pray for that one person. Maybe there's one person God's put on your heart right now. Maybe there's just one person. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a child. Think of that one person and commit to praying for that one person. Pray before your interaction with them. Pray during your words with them. Pray during everything you do with them. Pray before you witness, during your witness, after you witness. Just pray. The second thing I would like to invite us to do this morning is to identify our mission fields. I shared this story before. Shane Claiborne, who is like young Christianity's Messiah. He's an awesome guy, though. In his book, the original one, um, he talks about this idea of being in India. 
and seeing and being heartbroken, seeing Mother Teresa and all the sisters, just he's heartbroken in an irresistible revolution. He's heartbroken because he sees all this loss, all this darkness, all this pain, all this sorrow. And he's like, God, I can't go back to America. I have to stay here and, and just work here. And this is the message she told them. She says, find your own Calcutta. And that's the same message. I can't tell you about witnessing without telling you that if you're going to start here, find your own mission field. It might be with your family. It might be with your neighbors. It might be, you know, at work. Find your own mission field. Start here. Start witnessing. Find your mission field and be a witness there. Remember, the goal of our witness is not simply confession or a one-time decision. The goal of our witness is what? We want to see a transformed life. We want to see people faithfully committed to Jesus Christ. We do not and we will not see transformation if we're not being witnesses in our own mission fields. Find your own Calcutta and be a witness there. Amen? I'd like to ask the worship team to come up front. The final thing I would like to invite us to do is to live circumspectly. Now, what I mean by this is simply keep your eyes open, keep your hearts open, keep your minds open, keep your homes open, and keep your lives open. Eyes, hearts, minds, homes, and lives. Keep them all open because this one I'm going to promise you. I don't like promising, but this one's going to come true, so I promise you. If you pray and pray every day, if you find your own Calcutta, you find your mission field, and you're a witness there. If you pray, the Lord will send you a harvest. Because living circumspectly is living in a way that when the harvest comes, and it will come. If you pray and you identify your mission field, the harvest will come. But when the harvest comes, you will have cultivated the land. You will have planted the seed. You will have given enough water and sunlight. When the harvest comes, living circumspectly will enable you to partner with God in harvesting fruit, to partner with God in saving souls, to partner with God in bringing all of his lost children back home again. Our God desires, our God desires redemption, our God desires reconciliation, and then he desires reproduction. Jesus' life and death. And resurrection, that's what saves us. That's what makes redemption possible. The Spirit's calling and leading us back to God and the Father's love and forgiveness for our sins, that's what makes reconciliation possible. But brothers and sisters, I close with this. It is our witness. It is our witness. It is our witness. It is our willingness to work alongside with our God. It is our witness that expands his kingdom. The Father's doing his job. The Spirit is doing his job. It's about time we start doing our job. Amen? It is our witness. It is our witness that produces fruit. It is our witnesses that God uses for the harvest to come, and it will come. Pray, find your mission field, and be witnesses. Amen? I'd like to invite the intercessors up front as we sing this last song. You know, you can't preach a sermon about witnessing without inviting people to pray together. And here's what I want to do. I know if you want to come up front, we'll pray for you for anything. But I want you to find someone in your row, find someone next to you. I don't even care if someone you came with. I just want you to find someone. And as they sing in the background, I want you to literally challenge each other. Don't pray for yourself. Pray for the person you're with and pray that God makes them a witness this week, this day. Amen? So as we sing this last song, we'll be up front. If you need prayer, please come. But let's pray together as a family. Amen? Feel free.